Well, we're almost to the end of our Hebrews uh, study, our Hebrews series titled Jesus Christ Above All Things. We have two more sermons after today. Um, currently, we're in this kind of a long section where the writer calls us to endure with hope. The last two sermons, if you remember, uh, we had confidence to endure was one title, and then faith to endure. Today's sermon is titled, Status to Endure. Earlier, Diane read from 1 John chapter 3, which calls us to marvel at the love of God, that he has granted us this right to become children of God. What we're going to see this morning is that because of our status as children of God, God actually uses the trials, the hardships, the suffering, the difficulties in our lives to make us more like Christ. Now, the question is, do you welcome this? Do you look at the hardships that God allows into your life with gratitude, or do you despise his good discipline? Our text is Hebrews 11, verse 23 through 7, uh, excuse me, did I say that? 3, verses uh, 17. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And, you have, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the, his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this word to us. It tells us a truth that we know in our heads but often we, we just kind of reject it with our hearts. We don't like discipline, um, but it's good for us. 
Help us in this text this morning to be reproved um, by your Spirit's work in us through this word, but also help us to be encouraged so that, that we may see our status as children of God and endure with great hope, we pray. Amen. A friend of mine had a conversation with this atheist friend. His friend is confident that there, there is no God. Now, in their conversation, he said something that was interesting. He, he made the comment that everything happens for a reason. Now, I'm not sure if this strikes you as odd, but it does me. The beliefs of atheists um, are not compatible with the belief that everything happens for a reason. And yet, my friend's friend believes that everything just happens for a reason. And it's true, isn't it? We find ourselves in the midst of a trial, of a hardship, or suffering, and we want to believe that there is a greater purpose behind it. But after 18 months of applying for a job, we can grow weary of hearing from our friends, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. When your friends at school abandon you, it can be hard to be soothed by the words, well, everything happens for a reason. We find ourselves in the midst of a struggle, and others tell us that everything happens for a reason, and we're tempted to think, yeah, right. I don't see how any good can come out of this. You ever been in a situation like that? Well, this must have been a similar mindset to those first recipients of this letter. We saw a couple weeks ago that, that there was a time when their faith was, it was alive, it was contagious. Their lives were filled with a joy and a vibrancy, even as they endured struggles and hardships. And, and, and a number of them, if you recall, had been thrown in jail. Some of them had their possessions taken away, and they were joyful and okay with it. But now, the writer finds that they're in danger of throwing in the towel, right? Of giving up. And even of withdrawing from fellowship with one another. And so in our passage, the author writes, it seems you may have forgotten something. What is it that they have forgotten? Their status. And what is the status of everyone who believes in Christ? Believers in Christ have been given the amazing status of firstborn sons. And yet in our struggles, we, we forget that. So the, the writer reminds them and us in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Now he's writing to both men and women in the church. So the word son applies to both. It's something that we call sonship. It's the status of a firstborn son. In ancient days, it was the firstborn son who was bestowed most of the inheritance as well as the responsibility of, of leading the family when the father passed away. So, my friends, if you are in Christ, you have been bestowed with the glorious honor of firstborn son. So here's the big point for us this morning. Our status as a child of God means that we must endure our Heavenly Father's discipline with hope. This morning we're going to look at this whole process. I think we're going to be challenged by it. Hopefully we'll be changed by it as well. We're going to look at two points in this passage and then we're going to make some application. The first point addresses the question, who 
Who is it that God disciplines? We will see that God disciplines those he loves. The second is why. Why does God discipline? We'll see that God disciplines us for our good. So first, who? Who is it that God disciplines? God disciplines those he loves. You know, at some point in your Christian walk, you come to realize an important truth that God hasn't just forgiven you of your sins. He's adopted you into his family. He is your heavenly father. And almost as certainly as every Christian comes to that realization, he will also find himself in a situation where he says, come on, father. Do you see what's going on here? Have you forgotten me? The writer knows quite well our propensity to conclude that God has abandoned us in the midst of our suffering. So he reminds them from scripture that the discipline from God is a sign that you are his child whom he dearly loves. Beginning in verse 5, he quotes from the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 3, and also Psalm 94. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now here's the kicker that is so hard for us to grasp. Just think about what's being said here. If you are a child of God and you are enduring hardship or trials, what God is actually doing for you is proving that he loves you. Discipline is the means by which God raises up his children. In verse 7, we see that God is treating us as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? The author wants us to look around with our eyes and see every father on earth, every father who tries to be a good father, who cares. And look around and see if you can find any father who hasn't disciplined their child. You won't. Verse 8, he wants us to consider the converse. He says, if you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Richard Phillips, a commentator, writes, in the ancient world, discipline was the unquestioned prerogative and duty of the father. It was not a sign of favor, but of neglect or rejection when a child was not disciplined by his father. There seems to be a story that circulated in ancient times. It went something like this. There was two rival kings who sought to destroy each other, but no one had an upper hand. And so one of the kings came up with a plan. He says, I'm going to kidnap the king's newborn son and adopt him into my household, and I'm going to let him do whatever he wants for the next 20 years. I'm not going to correct him at all. And then I'm going to send him back. As the story goes, the prince later became the king of that kingdom, and he ruined the whole kingdom because he had not been disciplined or trained up or corrected. He had none of the qualities of a good king, and his kingdom crumbled. Now look at verses 9 and 10. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. That's our earthly parents. But he disciplines us for our good, 
that we may share in his holiness. This verse tells us that, that human parents, they discipline as best they can in the way that seems best to them. For those of us here who are parents, we know it. We're imperfect in our discipline. Think about it. Sometimes you come home some days from work and we are on top of the world and we find our kids misbehaving and we just let it go. Other days we come home and we're exhausted and we're frustrated. Then the kids do something minor and we jump all over them because we don't have control over our feelings or our attitudes. We are flawed. We are sinful people. And yet our desire is to discipline well. And young people today, please listen. Know that your parents love you, so they watch over you and they guide you. And yes, they discipline you because you're their child and they love you. But they are sinners and they will not be perfect in how they discipline you. Do you understand this? And can you see how even their imperfect discipline means they love you. Fatherly love and discipline, they go together. And this awareness ought to transform the way Christians think about our trials. The fourth century church father Chrysostom said, see, it is those very things in which they suppose they have been deserted by God that should make them confident that they have not been deserted. If you are in Christ, when you undergo hardship, God is not deserting you. In fact, it's the opposite. He is proving his love for you. God disciplines the one he loves. So that is the who. Who, God, who does God discipline? He disciplines those who love. Now for the why. Why does God discipline? God disciplines us for our good. Look at verse 10 again. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. The book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28, writes, Paul writes, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. However difficult it is for us to perceive, God is making all things work together for good in our lives. And since God is holy, all of his intentions for us are holy. They're pure. They're for our benefit. And they bring him the credit. They bring him the glory. Once again, Phillips writes, because God is love, even when the worst afflictions pour upon our heads, behind them is a hand moved by love. He continues, wow. What a difference it makes to realize that God, who is good, has only good for us in his way of discipline. Do you believe that? Now, not only are God's motives good, but the final product of his discipline is good. God is disciplining, disciplining us for our good. We need him to do this. Now, how do we know this is true? Because the goal of God's discipline is what? to make us more like Christ. And that is a wonderfully good thing. Once again in verse 10, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. 
Listen, Christian, your new life in Christ has a trajectory. It's going somewhere. God's plan for you in this age and certainly in the age to come is for you to become like Christ. Christ in all of his splendor, in goodness, in moral beauty, in his sense of purpose, in his humility, in his obedience. Listen, if you are a child of God, this is your trajectory. This is where God is taking you. The famous Dallas Cowboys football coach Tom Landry put it this way. The job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to be what they've always wanted to be. So the sign of someone who's becoming mature as a Christian is the ever-growing understanding that God cares more about their holiness than their happiness. And oh, this should make us happy. (laughs) Now God's preferred means for disciplining us, for training us up is what? It's through his word, it's through his holy scripture. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Also God trains us up how? Through the wise counsel of Christian friends. We were to be in community where, where iron sharpens iron. If you remember a couple weeks ago when the author wrote, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, right? Remember John 15 when Jesus called us to abide in him. Remember where he said, I am the true vine and my father, the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does bear fruit, he what? He prunes (laughs) that it may bear more fruit. Are you okay with that? Listen, God, God works to discipline us through his word and through the iron sharpening iron work of his people, but he also prunes us by the circumstances of our lives. Does this make sense? Better yet, do you welcome this into your life? When the Christians in our passage faced persecution, they were feeling hard-pressed. The writer was telling them and us, he's saying, don't disregard that feeling. Listen, when you're feeling perplexed, if you're feeling beat up by the circumstances of your life, if you're in a trial that has you feeling all alone, or perhaps anxious, or bitter, or all of those things, if God feels distant, listen, don't waste that feeling. Something feels wrong in your life, examine it. See just how your Heavenly Father is disciplining you for your good, and then turn your heart towards Christ and experience the grace and the power, his grace and power in the midst of your hardship. You know, the Apostle Paul models this well for us, does he not? The Apostle Paul's life was one of constant hardship and trial and difficulty, one after another, as he served Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about when he had this amazing vision Like he was taken up into the heavenly realms itself and he saw all kinds of amazing, glorious things that he couldn't even begin to describe. And then shortly after that, Paul says that God gave him what? A thorn in the flesh. And and he described it as a messenger of Satan sent to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited, pruning. God was pruning the apostle Paul. Looking back on the incident, Paul saw that there was a pridefulness in his life that God needed to prune away. 
So Paul says that he pleaded three times with God to take away this thorn in the flesh, which was most likely some sort of physical ailments, uh, likely a bad eyesight. And what was the Lord's reply? I think you know what it, what it is. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul went from trying to pray his way out of a difficult circumstance to embracing God's discipline. And even more so, finding the grace in the moment, which is more than sufficient to help in our time of need. It's amazing, isn't it? Think about it. The effect of God's discipline upon us causes us to rest more in the grace of Christ and experience the power of Christ in us, in our lives. Isn't that exactly what we all really long for? God disciplines us for our good. Now, the author says there's three ways we can respond to the discipline of the Lord. Two of them are incorrect, and one is correct. I will help you with them. The first response is that when the Lord's discipline comes, we can regard it lightly. We see this in verse 5. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. I'm not making this up, right? It's right there. Don't blow it off. Do not ignore it. Don't try to just shake it off. Listen, you're to feel the weight of it. That's the intent. And so ask the Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? What are you trying to train up in me? What, what, in what way do I need to be pruned in the moment? Please, under God's discipline, don't say I need to escape. I need retail therapy. I need a long vacation. Do not do that. Do not regard God's discipline lightly. The second incorrect response is to respond to trials with self-pity and anger. This self-pity is what the writer is warning against in verse 15, where he says, See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And we get this, don't we? When things are going against us, we can either turn towards God and his people for strength and guidance, or what? Or we can turn away from him and from his people and become bitter. So, those are the two incorrect responses, to regard lightly God's discipline and to respond with self-pity and anger. The correct response is to take to heart and apply verse 3. We are to look to Christ that we may endure. Verse 3, we read, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The child of God does not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor does she grow weary or bitter when reproved by him, but rather she does what? She looks to Christ. She considers Christ. She looks to him and sees how Christ, her, her faithful eldest brother, how he endured hostilities for her. Scripture tells us that it was God's will that his son should be crushed, for our iniquities. Paul writes these telling words in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
God did not spare his own divine son. So when we find ourselves under the hand of God's discipline, we can at least know that if God were good out of the greatest injustice ever, the death of his holy innocent son, will he not work out good from our circumstances? So we study that God disciplines those he loves and he does so for our good. Now let's look at our response. Because of our status as child of God, we must commit to endure God's discipline. So here's the big point of our application from this text. It's this. Knowing now what we know about God's discipline, that he disciplines those he loves for their good, we must subject ourselves to the care of our Heavenly Father and allow him to discipline us. We see this big point in the second half of verse 9. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Easier said than done. (laughs) This passage gives us five exhortations, five S's of living in subjection to our Heavenly Father. I'm going to run through them real fast. First is stamina. We need stamina. We must desire to endure. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is a call for us to, to press on with stamina. Next, strengthen yourself. We see this in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. You know, a good personal trainer will push you past being tired. I think that's why I don't have a personal trainer. (laughs) At the point when you say, that's good enough for today, the trainer says, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and keep going. You know, often we just need to, to hear from the word of God or from our fellow Christians and we become strengthened. Third, we must, he calls us to straighten our paths. This is a path of righteousness. This is a desire on our part to be holy. Make straight, verse 13, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Don't keep on with this running from God and hiding. You allow yourself to be disciplined by him so that that you can be healed, not forever permanently lame. Here we're reminded of our Lord's teaching that that the wide road is followed by many, but it leads to destruction. The narrow path, the path of turning away from sin, this is the path that leads to life. Which path are you on? Four, we're to strive for two things in verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness. We strive for peace because Jesus taught, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, what? Sons of God. (laughs) Often the trials of our lives, what do they do? Do they not put us kind of in a self-absorbed state of mind where loving others is really, really hard, right? We get agitated easily. And so we can often stir up discord. So we must strive for peace. And we must strive for holiness. The word holiness in the Greek is also translated with the word sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which Christians are freed from the power of sin and transformed in godliness. So let us strive for peace with everyone 
and for holiness. Fifth, lastly, we are to see to it. What are we to see to? A few things. We're to see to and care for our brothers and sisters in Christ here at Grace Church. Verse 15, we're to see that, that God's grace is pressed into all of our lives. This is a communal word. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. When our brothers and sisters are hard-pressed because of trials of life, we are to see to it that they lay hold of the grace of God. And we're to see to it that, that no roots of bitterness spring up and causes trouble. Verse 16, we're also, we are to see, um, see to the holiness of our brothers and sisters. Verse 16, see to it that no one is sexually immoral un or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, the bowl of soup. It was probably pretty tasty, but you know. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he had found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Don't have much time to go into Esau's story, but he was the eldest son of Isaac. And he manifested his, his careless disregard for God and for God's covenants. He demonstrated this in how he sold his birthright as the eldest son in the family to his younger brother, Jacob, all for a bowl of stew. He sold his sonship, his firstborn son's status, because he couldn't endure hunger. The point is that if you're in Christ, you experience sonship. It's a gift to you. You have the eldest son's status. God delights in you. You are God's child of promise. And so are all of your fellow Christians. So see to it that your brothers and sisters here at Grace Church don't throw away that status like Esau. We're to care for each other. We're to look out for each other. We're to encourage one another. So, Grace Church, we need to see to it that when others are enduring hardship as discipline, that we help them lay hold of the grace of God. All right, so this morning we've been challenged, I think, to see things from a heavenly perspective. No longer should we read the tea leaves of our troubles and assume that God is unaware or unmoved. The status of every child, of every Christian, is that of child of God. And so it is because of his love for us that God allows us to endure trials and hardship. And God is good. And his goals for us are good. God disciplines us for our good. Christian, you are on a trajectory of glory. You are becoming more and more like your Savior, Jesus Christ. This is good. This is necessary. But it's also painful. But as they say, no pain, no gain. As we approach the Lord's Supper table, take a moment to think through the trials that you may be in right now. Ask God to help show you how he wishes to make you more like Jesus 
through your hardships and come close to Christ and ask him to show you how his power is made perfect in your weakness and rest in the grace of Christ who endured suffering on the cross not because of his need for discipline he was sinless after all but he endured the cross so that we may become children of God and that is what we are See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Let's pray. Father, we receive this word in faith. We receive it by the work of the Spirit in our lives that causes us to delight in your word, even when it's challenging, challenging to to our own way of how we just want to live. We need you to prune us. We need you to discipline us. May we, may we see it as a sign of your love and your goodness towards us. Um, and, and may you bear much fruit in our lives because of this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.